Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Praise the Lord. I was thinking about that too, um, because the, the topic I'm going to teach on today has made me do quite a bit of self-reflection. Um, it's great honor to be up here today, so I want to give honor to Pastor and to Sister Valerie uh, for allowing me to bring you this word today. You know, I know a lot of us get up here when we get ready to teach, and we say something similar, and so it could sound like it's just, uh, you know, formality or whatever, but it really isn't. There is a weight and a responsibility that comes with delivering the Word of God, and I do not take that lightly, so thank you. Um, this is going to be a little bit different, um, so I'm going to have you stand for a few minutes. I'll let you know when you can sit. You know, we've had some pretty amazing church services lately, haven't we? God is beyond a shadow of a doubt doing something amazing here at Living Hope, and I hear people comment absolutely Every Sunday, man, that was good church, wasn't it? Oh, we had some good church today. Pastor really preached it. That was great, right? But I want to pose a question to you. And Pastor, you almost kind of just stepped all over this a few minutes ago in prayer. I want to ask you the question, how do you define good church? Is it preaching or teaching that raises the hair up in your arms or gives you goosebumps? Is it measured by how much pastor gets up here and sweats and how loud he yells and how many veins pop out in his head? Is it if the praise team sings your jam and you can get up here and get your praise on? Is it if pastor preaches the message you agree with and you're like, man, that was good? Well, I hope we know the answers to those questions. So some of those things might actually happen, right? Those might happen on any given Sunday. But none of these things in and of themselves truly defines good church. In fact, all of these things are very superficial, and they are responses of our flesh. <clears throat> our worship, what we do on any given Sunday, the reason I get up on a Sunday morning and come here is not for me. I mean, it is on some level, but really, ultimately, I come here to worship him. My worship isn't for me, it's for him. So the feeling good is a byproduct of the function of worship. The fact is that good preaching doesn't always feel good. And it doesn't always agree with my spirit. That's the purpose. Not to appease me, not to make me feel good, although sometimes it will. But truly good preaching should bring us to conviction that leads us to repent or change. It requires an actual response from us. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11 tell us, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Now, I'm sure starting with something like that, you're wondering, oh my goodness, where are we headed today, right? Brother Hurley did an amazing job the other night. And if you were unable to be here, I encourage you, I highly encourage you to listen to his message. It does not matter if you have been in church for a million years, like Pastor Brother Robert said that I've been in church. It doesn't matter if you've been in church. Today is your first day. It's an incredible message. He gave me a new way. So many times we come to church and we have those good church experiences, but we have no clue what to do next with what we just got. We've repented. Where do we go from there? This is why fellowship with the body and discipleship is so important. 
Or maybe you've been saved a while, but things are kind of stagnant and you just can't figure out how to get out of the rut. You've heard the message. You know what the Bible says, but you still can't figure out how to truly live the abundant life that you have heard so much about. Today, I'm not going to re-preach his message. He hit several things that I already knew that God had given to me. But today, we're going to expound on that message, and we're going to talk about walking the new way in biblical submission. When I first came to church, I used to hear people say, come with your buckets, not your shovels. In other words, don't just sit through teaching or preaching. Now, this isn't just for me. This is when Sister Valerie gets up in a little bit. This is on a Wednesday night. And every Sunday morning, every time we walk through this door, don't sit through a sermon and go, oh, she is talking about Sister so-and-so. I've seen her do that. I see her do it every Sunday. But walk in. That spirit of expectation that we are supposed to walk in with is our bucket and our shovel to collect everything that comes through the mouth of the word of the word to collect it for me and to find out how I'm supposed to apply it to my life. Anything else is just an exercise in keeping up appearances, checking a block, and a work of the flesh. So today I want to encourage you, bring your bucket, not just your shovel. As we begin, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that I can come into your house of God, this place, Lord, where you reside to be with the body of Christ and your people. I thank you for the word that you have prepared throughout this day for the miracle signs and wonders that are going to take place. Jesus, as I'm here and I go to deliver the word, speak to my heart. As I'm here to hear the word, God, speak to me, Lord. Let it create true transformation in the fertile soil of my heart so that I can do your perfect will. I thank you and give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. You may be seated. So I kind of have this feeling that as soon as I told you what this lesson would be about, and I said that, that really bad word, submission, that I lost about half of you. People kind of mentally check out, right? <clears throat> I want you to commit to hearing and listening with an open mind and an open heart what God wants to speak to all of us this morning. God is a God of order. From the very beginning of time, God provided a distinct hierarchy for his creation. In Genesis 1.16, we learn he created one light to rule the day and another light to rule the night. After he created the animals, in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, we learn that he created Adam and Eve and gave them dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now let's fast forward a few chapters to Genesis chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, where we read, you know, things have shifted a lot in just a few chapters. Isn't that the way it always is? On a Sunday, we may come in and we have repented. We've laid it down at an altar. And that's what Brother Hurley said the other night. You know, we lay it down and then we get up and we continue to walk the same way. We have to choose to walk a different way. But this is not new stuff. You can read throughout the Bible that the Israelites did this over and over and over and over again. But in Genesis chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, we read where it repented God that he had made man on the earth. That's a pretty strong word. It repented him. He, he wanted to do a total about face. And so he devises a plan to destroy everything, with the exception of Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, because Noah walked with God. Because of this relationship, Noah and his family became a testament to the saving power of submission to a plan that probably made absolutely no sense to them whatsoever. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, read throughout the Bible. Each one of these people was human. You know, so many times we read the Bible and we think, oh, that was, but that was Abraham. That was different for him. Oh, that was Jacob. That was so different for him. No, they were humanity. They were human, just like you are human and I am human. Every one of them had their issues. They, it, some of it you're like, man, I can't believe they did that. But God used each of them because the one thing they had in common is that they displayed a reverence 
a humility, and a submission to God's plan. Eventually, guess what? We're people. So we went, no, we want to rule ourselves. Give us kings. And you know what God did? God said, okay, I'll give you kings. But even with the kings, there came a hierarchy. The king was not an island. He couldn't make decisions for himself. He had to confer with the man of God. Humanity has always struggled between desiring control and submission. If you don't believe it, just take a look at any two-year-old, right? Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, helps us to begin to understand why. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, who didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan had a heart issue. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to exalt himself, his own agenda, not God's. So what happened? We've seen it. We've read it, right? Revelations chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angel was cast, angels were cast out with him. Satan was cast out of heaven, but he didn't go alone. His actions didn't just affect him. On the day-to-day, when I'm upset with my husband about a decision that he's made for our family, i got to be careful who I talk to. Because if I take myself down, my children are watching. I could take them too. If pastor makes a decision for the church that you don't agree with, and you walk around and you're pastor and you better be careful who you're talking to because your actions don't just affect you and you're not given the call to watch for their souls the way he is. Everyone who sided with him, everyone who listened to him and aligned with him suffered the exact same fate that he did. There are consequences for our actions. In Satan's jealousy and anger over being cast out of heaven, his goal ever since has been to keep man from entering the eternal relationship with God that he gave up in his desire to be as God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So you see, if you are challenged in your gut when I mention the word submission, that battle's not coming from God. That's coming from the enemy of your soul who wants to get, get you and then keep you out of the will of God for your life. So what is submission? Let's start simple. Merriam-Webster defines a submit as to yield to governance or authority, to subject to a condition, treatment, or operation, to present or propose to another for review, consideration, or decision, to deliver formally, to put forward as an opinion or contention, To surrender. Just between you and me, is that what you thought of when you thought submission? It's not what I thought of when I thought submission. None of those words came to my mind, right? That was never my understanding of submission. In fact, I remember a day, B.C., when I was at work in the nursery. Don't ask. It must have been a slow Sunday, and we were all kind of sitting around talking with each other. And somehow the subject of submission came up. That is so weird to me because we didn't exactly talk about churchy things in the nursery. But I remember the subject coming up and very distinctly and indignantly putting my two cents in when it came to my turn. I said, submit? 
<laughs> you ain't never going to catch me submitting to no man. I had been programmed by my life experiences, maybe the television shows that I watched, maybe relationships that I had been in, the books I read, the world in general. My understanding was very skewed, and I've quickly come to learn I'm not the only one. Our world has a very perverted view of submission. A quick Google search, FYI, which I do not recommend, as I was preparing for this lesson, quickly reinforced that. Images of sexual perversion, people in physical bondage, and people being abused quickly flooded my computer screen. What a negative connotation. But this is not a new phenomenon. The enemy has had a very long time to perfect his tactics. What we're seeing is just the culmination of years of him sowing these lies into the hearts of people who willfully followed his lead. It didn't start out looking like, you know, some, someone beating somebody else up. That's not what it started. It started out as something very tiny, very tiny. Or perhaps it's people who have taken their liberty and abused their power, right? You have a negative experience with somebody who completely oppresses you continually, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in your home life, spouses who abuse spouses, parents who abuse children. What a way to pervert submission, right? That's all been a part of the enemy's plan for our revolt to submission. So what is biblical submission? Well, very plainly, because really biblical submission is the only submission that matters, right? Very plainly in the Greek, we find two different words. Hypeko, which means to submit, and hypotasso, which means to put into subjection, subject, subordinate, Submit, to be put under, obedient, subdued. How did your flesh feel when you heard that word, obedience? Ugh, that's another one we don't like, right? It's kind of hard. We think, I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want to do, right? <clears throat> think about this. How would you feel if you told your two-year-old to do something? And they said, no, I don't have to. How would that fly in your house? Probably about as well as it would fly in my house, right? Or what if you asked one of your children to do something and you gave them instructions on how to do it and that was just too much work for them? So they went and they did it, but they did it their way. How would you feel about that? We would understand as parents that that behavior is not okay. So why do we act like that with God? See, our flesh always looks for the path of least resistance. But I believe it was Pastor that reinforced with us the other night, it's hard to live for God hard. It's not easy to live for God hard. And there is no other way to live for God. In this day and age, you cannot halfway make up your mind. Because if you halfway make up your mind, or you partly buy in, you're going to be taken out. It's the day and age that we live in. <clears throat> rebellion isn't always born out of a bad motive either sometimes you can have the very best of intentions but guess what motive doesn't matter we all want to think we're making good choices or the right choices but think about it in this flesh am I capable in and of that self that by myself no submission requires humility even when you think your way is the best, it's not manipulating someone to come around to your way. It's not trying to work your way in because you know how it should be done. It's humbling yourselves so that God can have his way. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 31, I die daily. We must daily find ourselves at the foot of the cross to bring this flesh under subjection to be in the will of God. 
That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is us talking to him. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He didn't tell us to pray. Now, when you pray, say these words, my kingdom come. No, it's not my kingdom I'm striving for. It's not my will that I should be ultimately striving for. It's his. And these cannot just be words that we say. We cannot offer lip service. We have to live them. That's the real struggle. The flesh wants what the flesh wants. We live in a world that preaches all day long. You can have it your way. Or another one, just do it, right? Well, these might just be catchy advertising slogans for various products, but the message that they send bleeds over and creeps into everything that we do. That is not what God says. In fact, he warns us several times about doing what we feel is right and okay. Key word being what we feel is right and okay. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirit. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25. There are ways which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 21, verse 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. And Proverbs chapter 21, verse 8, the way of a man is froward and strange, but as for the pure, his work is right. When God repeats something that many times, it's pretty important to him. Don't go rogue. (laughs) His way, not my way. Plain and simple, submission is a heart issue. In the book of Exodus, Moses continually approaches Pharaoh, pleading to let God's chosen people go. And each time, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he refuses. Egypt is a type of the world. Obviously, Israel is a type of the church. Where will we align ourselves? Will we align ourselves with the world and harden our hearts? Or will we align ourselves with Israel, with God's chosen people, with God, and humble ourselves to let the word of God and preaching to trim away those calloused areas of our hearts? We're told so many times in Scripture, harden not our hearts. When God speaks, we must obey. We live in a society that wants to place people in heaven based on their personal merit. And obviously, we we believe that works are important. The Bible even tells us that faith without works is dead. But can you really say that you have faith if you're not obedient, if you don't submit? Submission and faith go hand in hand. Submission isn't always easy. True submission is obeying even when you don't understand. So what does the Bible say about submission? Who must submit? Buckle up, guys. Submission is for everyone. You know, a lot of times as women, we kind of feel the hair stand up on the back of our neck when that word comes up, submission. And everybody tends to think of the verse that says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. But submission isn't exclusive to women. Everyone in this room submits to something every day. People in the world submit to something every day. We submit to our bosses at work. Can you imagine coming in when you want, wearing what you want, sleeping at work when you want, eating when you want, going where you want, talking to customers or coworkers however you want, right? Some days I'd probably be fired really fast. I don't think I'd have a job for long. What about driving? There are rules of the road. Speed and you get caught. Get caught, you get a ticket. Driving without a license, you get a ticket. Illegal U-turn, right? We could keep going down that road. Even Jesus submitted. He was the perfect example of submission. Being fully God 
and fully man, Jesus submitted his humanity to his deity when he prayed in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. So to whom must we submit? First, we must submit to God. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. God gives us a pretty key directive in this verse. Submit yourselves to God. And I look at this, and I think, man, there's a very direct correlation. When we submit ourselves to God, that's going to create this response in us to want to resist the devil, and then the devil is going to flee from us. But the converse is also true. Don't submit yourselves to God, and you're inviting the enemy in to have a heyday in your life. And if I think that the path I was on before was pretty bad, and let me just tell you it was, if I hit the point now where I choose not to submit... I'm not going as far as I did before. He's going to take me a whole lot further. And when you allow that to happen, getting back to God is just as simple as an about face on our parts. God doesn't measure how long, how far, what you've done in terms of when we turn around and come back to him. We do. But the devil will take that and he'll make it seem like it's a million mile march to get back to God. And that is not the truth. So don't find yourself in that position. Resist the devil. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Wives must submit to your husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves, I like this part where it says, unto your own husbands. Like, don't submit to your neighbor's husband, not some guy down the street. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. I I just think that is proof that God has a sense of humor, right? That that is really funny. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as it is fit in the Lord. Ladies, here's another thing you can thank Eve for when you see her. Submission to our husbands was a direct result of Eve's actions in the garden. Genesis chapter 3 verse 16 says, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thou, thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. If it's any other way in your home, I encourage you to get that right. The spirit of Jezebel was a spirit that desired to have control. And this spirit right here tells us that in God's hierarchy, in our homes, that's not how God designed it. It was not for the woman to be in control. The spirit of Ahab is a very passive spirit that relinquishes readily that control and is totally okay with it. So I want to encourage us, and I know that this is kind of an aside and doesn't necessarily apply to everybody here, but if you're in, in, if you are a married couple, I want you to pray individually, and then I want you to pray together about that. Because the enemy, for a while, has worked to destroy the hierarchy in our homes, and a very direct result is the destruction of the family. So, now, ladies... Don't be mad at me, but, you know, there's some good news out of this, right? Submission doesn't mean you don't get to say what's on your mind. It doesn't mean that you cannot express your opinion. It doesn't mean that you're just this quiet little thing in the corner who gets no input. You've heard the expression, behind every good man, there's a yes. We've been given a gift, God gave us a gift, but we have to be very careful not to abuse that power. This is going to sound really silly and superficial, but I will put myself out there. 
I remember when I discovered that I had this power. And I remember after I had been in church, God convicting me about how I used it. Because it hit me one day. You know, I would say something like, oh, I really love whatever it is. And my husband would go and he would buy that thing for me. And I didn't really catch what was happening. But like, you know, one time it happened at a car dealership and I was like, man, I really love that Ford Explorer. And before we knew it, we weren't there to buy a car. We were there with friends. We were there with somebody else. Before I knew it, he, we were signing papers. I was getting a Ford Explorer that day. And then, you know, another kid came along, and I realized it wasn't quite so easy to put a kid in and out of a Ford Explorer. And I thought, we really need a minivan. I've seen a friend of mine driving around with a minivan. And, you know, I, again, I didn't really think twice about it. I was in the world, and I was like, man, you know, Misty's got this minivan, and it is like the most amazing things ever. It's got a door on both sides. You can get in. The kids, I could put them in the back. And I had this whole rationalization for why we need it. And before I knew it, he had researched on the Internet that minivan and where we could buy it he had called he had worked out a price with it we were getting a minivan and so fast forward we're in church and that bug started to bite me again and I was like man whoo I really like that car over there that's a really nice looking car and God stopped me and he said don't you dare say a word and I thought what and it was like Oh, see, I'm the one who does our finances. I knew where we were with the money. And I knew we couldn't afford that vehicle. And God said to me, don't you open your mouth because you know exactly what's going to happen. If you say you want that car, he's going to go buy you that car and you don't have the money for a car payment. And I was like, you're absolutely right. So I kept my mouth shut. And there was blessing in that because, you know what, I realized that that desire was a very fleeting desire. My car got paid off. You know, it was, it was done. I, didn't, I wasn't starting over. And it felt good to have a little cash in the bank. Wives were created to be helpmeets to their husbands. Oftentimes, we bring a different perspective to the table that can actually help our husbands. Conversely, though... When we're not in submission, we can very much hinder our husbands. I've seen husbands who have a calling on their lives submitted to God with a wife who was unsubmitted in their home and in that relationship. And what happened was the husband's role in ministry was extremely limited by an unsubmitted wife. It's important, ladies, that we remember and understand what God has biblically called us to in our homes. Our salvation, our children's salvation, is dependent on it. They are watching us, and they are learning from us. So what if I don't have a husband? Well, there is still spiritual authority and a hierarchy in your life. You are not just left out there in left field. God gave you a father. If you don't have a father, I'm going to tell you, my father passed away probably three months into me being in church. And nobody could ever take my earthly father's place, but he did put father figures in my life who were able to lead me and guide me. So there is spiritual authority in your life. You have a pastor. Next, we must submit to our pastor. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not grief, for that is unprofitable to you. A pastor is the shepherd that God has placed in your life and that you have chosen to submit to. Too many times, people call someone their pastor lightly. I've heard people say, oh, this is my pastor, and that's my pastor, and that's my pastor, and before you know it, they've got 12 pastors, and it's like, well, who's, who's really leading you here? Too many spiritual voices in your life will create confusion, and confusion is not from God. Submission to a pastor 
means going to him in, now this is a key word, guys, major life decisions and spiritual decisions before your choice, before, everybody say before, your choice is made, not after. Now, there are a couple of key points there. Pastor doesn't want you to call him if you're trying to figure out what to make for dinner on a Tuesday night. This is not a big deal to him. If you're down at the car dealership and you've got the money, pastor doesn't want you to call and ask him if you should buy X brand car. And if you're buying an X brand car and you're not paying your tithes, then maybe that's something he will want to talk to you about. But anyway, the key is major life and spiritual decisions. But when you go to him, when your mind is already made up, that's not submission. You've already gone through the process. Your heart is already invested in what you've chosen to do. We have to go to him before major life and spiritual decisions. Because if you come to him with a made-up mind, I can guarantee you one thing. He's going to go, okay. He's not going to sit there and try to change your mind. He's going to pray for you. It might grieve him in his spirit if the decision is not a godly one. But he's not going to try to change your mind out of something you've already put your mind to do. See, we go to pastors because they have a much larger picture of the situation than we do. God speaks to them about people, about situations, and he speaks to us too. But the enemy, we have a different, you know, take on it because the enemy will sit and whisper things in our ear to try to sway us to a certain way. And as much as pastors love us, they can take a more objective point of view. Objective, subjective, yeah. So God is not going to tell you something different than he's going to tell your pastor. And those times where you go to him for those spiritual decisions or or whatever it is that you're going through, if you hear something completely polar opposite of what your pastor heard, then guess what? He's not wrong. You need to go and you need to pray through. God is either going to change your heart, and if he's wrong, God will talk to him and change his heart. Generically speaking, I'm just going to warn y'all, when I've prayed about issues in my life, asking God to change a situation or a circumstance or a person, guess who he usually changes? He usually changes me, so be prepared for that. We must submit to the leaders of our land. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, it says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Coming out of election year, this is a good one to look at. Doesn't matter if you like them. Doesn't matter how you feel about their policies. Doesn't matter if you voted for them. These verses tell us, submit yourselves, for so is the will of God. God said it. People used to say, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. It don't matter if we believe it or not. If God said it, it is what it is, and that's what we must obey. God said it. That settles it. I don't represent me. I represent him. I can't just act how I want. I can't just post what I want. I can't just say what I want. I am his, and I am bought with a price. We must submit to one another. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. We are accountability partners. The Bible says that iron sharpeneth iron. I am no better than you. You are no better than me. We have to humble ourselves to each other. I love the way it says be clothed with humility, but you have to ask yourself, 
Are you living in the Arctic tundra and you're being clothed with that parka and that head to toe? Or are you living in Hawaii on the beach with a pair of shorts and a tank top? I think I need that parka because I need all the grace I can get, right? You know, in our humanity, as we've gone through these things and some of the stuff that I've said, I know that human nature and our tendency would be to say, oh, that's great, but you just don't understand. That, that works for them, but that doesn't work for me. You don't know my situation. My situation is different. And everybody wants to be the exception. I mean, think of it. You know, it doesn't matter what rule is out there. Somebody is always arguing to be the exception. And the Bible tells me that God is not a respecter of persons. You know, I'm not an exception. You're not an exception. This is for me, and this is for you. So maybe, maybe it's not being exceptional (laughs) that you struggle with. Maybe it's conditional submission that you struggle with. In, in college, I took a computer class. This is a long time ago, which is hilarious to me now because I don't even know if they use this language, but we talked, we did basic um, DOS, and one of the things that we learned about was if-then statements. If you do this, then you do this. If this happens, then that happens. You ever hear yourself saying, well, if my husband would just do this, then I would do that. If my boss would just do this, then I would do that. Conditional submission is just another word for rebellion. And let me tell you how God feels about rebellion. In Samuel, I believe it's 2 Samuel, where he says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Let that soak in for a minute. Now, rebellion doesn't have to be that two-year-old going, no, I'm not going to do it. Rebellion could be, I want you to go put $50 in the offering plate, and you walk up and you go, "Mm, I'll put $25. Rebellion doesn't always look like it's, rebellion is doing what you want over doing what God wants. We have to stop rationalizing our rebellion, and we've got to begin to take responsibility for our own actions. We live in a world that wants to make everything everybody else's fault, you know. Oh, that happened to them because they did this, so you can't hold them responsible. Well, yeah, I mean, I am responsible for my actions. It doesn't matter how I got there. It doesn't matter what drove me to that. I am responsible for my actions. Too often we say, well, that's just me. You're just going to have to deal with it because that's just me. I'm not called to be like me. You're not called to be like you. I am called to be like him. John chapter 3, verse 30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. There's got to be more of him and a whole lot less of me. There's an old song in Sister Valerie. You're going to like this one because it was Loretta Lynn that sang it. And, it. and I thought about this when I was talking. It says, Let me be a little kinder. Let me be a little blinder. To the faults of those around me, let me praise a little more. Let me be, when I am weary, just a little bit more cheery. Think a little more of others and a little less of me. And at times when I feel my flesh kind of creeping up, God puts that song on my heart. There's got to be less of me and more of him. What a very novel idea in a self-absorbed world where so many people are just out for themselves and out for what's going to make me happy and out for how I can get ahead. We must decrease so that the world can see more of him. And finally, how? How can I submit? You know, that is probably the hardest part of the whole lesson, right? But it's Very simple when we look at it. We must walk that new way that Brother Hurley was talking about the other night. We've got to walk the new way. Well, how can I walk the new way? God gave us the spiritual disciplines of, number one, daily prayer. 
And I'm not talking, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But I surrender all. It's about personal altars built at home. The cross wasn't, now I lay me down to sleep, guys. It was painful. It was messy. It was inconvenient. And it was giving all. Ask yourself, do I have a daily prayer time? How long is it? Because if you've been praying every day for five minutes for forever, then you need to do something a little different. You need to shake things up to get out of that rut. Any time alone with God is great. But the more we truly desire and seek after him, the more we're going to find him. And that five minutes will turn into seven minutes and 10 minutes and 15 minutes and 20 minutes. And those places are where depth and transformation are truly born. How long has it been since you prayed until? Do you pray in tongues outside of church? That should be our daily mission to pray in the spirit. Praying in tongues shouldn't just happen in church once every eight years. Number two, daily reading and study, memorization of the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6 tells us, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. If I'm truly going to live for God, I cannot fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. Remember Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We've got to fight those spirits with his spirits. And we cannot do that if we don't daily take the time to be filled over and over and over again. Number three, mm, regular fasting. Fasting wasn't a suggestion. It was an expectation. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say, if you fast. Pastor are calling a fast, and let's look, guys. He hasn't done that in a while. So if that's the only time you're fasting, some of us are kind of behind the power curve. <clears throat> that shouldn't be the only time that we fast. Let's be real. I want to see a show of hands. How many of you, if the word fast comes out, you're just like, yes, I love to fast. Yeah, I didn't think so. Me neither. Nobody likes it. It's, it's why it's called, it's a sacrifice. It is sacrificial. It is the crucifixion of this flesh the, so that we can decrease and that he can increase. But I'm going to tell you a secret. Fasting works. You're going to see results that will blow your mind. Number four, worship and church attendance. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. God has placed every one of us in the body for a reason. I need you and you need me. When the wolf attacks, he doesn't go for the group. He goes for the one that is off doing its own thing. You know, I'm grateful for technology that allows us to be able to hear the word of God during a pandemic. But the truth is this. There are a lot of sheep still out there on their own. I'm not talking about the people who tune in. I'm talking about the people who started out tuning in and they couldn't weather that storm. And some that don't even get close to watching online anymore. Real reality is, we always think it's not going to be us, but it could be any one of us in this room. Number five, personal evangelism. This is not pastor's responsibility. It is not brother's, rather, ugh, brother Robert's responsibility. It's not the young minister's responsibility. This is all of our responsibility. Everybody say all. 
We have got to pour out into others what God has placed into us. And what you'll see is that as you do that, they will grow and you will grow. Number six, and this is the final one so you can, you can stand. Number six is serving. Jesus taught servanthood better than anyone else when he washed the disciples' feet. It was the ultimate position of humility. And I'm here to encourage you, whether it is a cleaning team, the lawn team, washing the baptistry robes, there are a lot of places to get involved in the body of Christ. Not just these places up here that you see every Sunday. There are a lot of places to get involved in the body of Christ. If you don't know where you can serve, ask a leader. Somebody will point you in the right direction. Romans chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say to every man that is among you, through the grace given unto me, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, guys, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And too many times we forget that. We allow the busyness of life and daily distractions to get in the way of those daily disciplines that are imperative to keeping our hearts and minds in check and alliance with his will for our lives. Today, it's time for us to recommit. It's time for us to take those next steps down the path of that new way that he has created for us. So I want us to pray together, and I want us to recommit. I want us to take that old definition that the enemy has tried to ingrain in our brains of what submission is, and I want us to submit that to God and allow him to really have his way in each of us. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus.